0: Chapter thirty two of Kenilworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kenilworth by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter thirty two. The wisest sovereigns err like private men, and royal hand has sometimes laid the sword of chivalry upon a worthless shoulder, which better had been branded by the hangman. What then? Kings do their best, and they and we must answer for the intent, and not the event old play it is a melancholy matter said the queen when tressilian was withdrawn to see a wise and learned man's wit thus pitifully unsettled yet this public display of his imperfection of brain plainly shows us that his supposed injury and accusation were fruitless and therefore my lord of leicester we remember your suit formerly made to us in behalf of your faithful servant varney whose good gifts and fidelity, as they are useful to you, ought to have due reward from us, knowing well that your lordship, and all you have, are so earnestly devoted to our service. And we render Varney the honour more especially that we are a guest, and we fear a chargeable and troublesome one, under your lordship's roof, and also for the satisfaction of the good old knight of Devon, Sir Hugh Robesart, whose daughter he hath married, and we trust the especial mark of grace which we are about to confer, may reconcile him to his son-in-law. Your sword, my lord of Leicester. The earl unbuckled his sword, and taking it by the point, presented on bended knee the hilt to Elizabeth. She took it slowly, drew it from the scabbard, and, while the ladies who stood around, turned away their eyes with real or affected shuddering. She noticed with a curious eye, the high polish and rich, damasked ornaments upon the glittering blade. Had I been a man, she said, methinks none of my ancestors would have loved a good sword better. As it is with me, I like to look on one, and could, like the fairy of whom I have read in some Italian rhymes. Were my godson Harrington here, he could tell me the passage. Even trim my hair and arrange my headgear in such a steel mirror as this is, Richard Varney come forth and kneel down. In the name of God and Saint George, we dub thee Knight. Be faithful, brave, and fortunate. Arise, Sir Richard Varney. Reader's note The incident alluded to occurs in the poem of Orlando Inamorato of Boyardo, libro, Roman numeral two, canto four, stanza twenty five non era per ventura etc it may be rendered thus as then perchance unguarded was the tower so entered free anglante's dauntless knight. no monster no giant guard the bower in whose recess reclined the fairy light robed in a loose simar of lily-white and on her lap a sword of breath and might in whose broad blade as in a mirror bright like maid that trims her for a festal night the fairy decked her hair and placed her coronet aright elizabeth's attachment to the italian school of poetry was singularly manifested on a well-known occasion her godson sir john harrington having offended her delicacy by translating some of the licentious passages of the orlando furioso she imposed on him as a penance the task of rendering the whole poem into English. End Reader's Note Varney arose and retired, making a deep obeisance to the sovereign who had done him so much honour. The buckling of the spur, and what other rites remain, said the Queen, may be finished to-morrow in the chapel, for we intend Sir Richard Varney a companion in his honours and as we must not be partial in conferring such distinction we mean on this matter to confer with our cousin of sussex that noble earl who since his arrival at kenilworth and indeed since the commencement of this progress had found himself in a subordinate situation to leicester was now wearing a heavy cloud on his brow a circumstance which had not escaped the queen who hoped to appease his discontent and to follow out her system of balancing policy by a mark of peculiar favour, the more gratifying as it was tendered at a moment, when his rival's triumph appeared to be complete. At the summons of Queen Elizabeth, Sussex hastily approached her person, and being asked on which of his followers, being a gentleman and of merit, he would wish the honour of knighthood to be conferred, he answered with more sincerity than policy, that he would have ventured to speak, for Tressilian, to whom he conceived he owed his own life, and who was a distinguished soldier and scholar, besides a man of unstained lineage. Only, he said, he feared the events of that night, and then he stopped. "'I am glad your lordship is thus considerate,' said Elizabeth. "'The events of this night would make us, in the eyes of our subjects, as mad as this poor, brain-sick gentleman himself, for we ascribe his conduct to no malice.' "'should we choose this moment to do him grace?' "'In that case,' said the Earl of Sussex, somewhat discountenanced, "'Your Majesty will allow me to name my master of the horse, "'Master Nicholas Blount, a gentleman of fair estate and ancient name, "'who has served Your Majesty both in Scotland and Ireland, "'and brought away bloody marks on his person, "'all honourably taken and requited.' The Queen could not help shrugging her shoulders slightly even at this second suggestion, and the Duchess of Rutland, who read in the Queen's manner that she had expected that Sussex would have named Raleigh, and thus would have enabled her to gratify her own wish, while she honoured his recommendation, only waited the Queen's assent to what he had proposed, and then said that she hoped, since these two high nobles had been each permitted to suggest a candidate for the honours of chivalry, she, in behalf of the ladies in presence, might have a similar indulgence. "'I were no woman to refuse you such a boon,' said the Queen, smiling. "'Then,' pursued the Duchess, "'in the name of these fair ladies present, "'I request Your Majesty to confer the rank of knighthood on Walter Raleigh, "'whose birth, deeds of arms, and promptitude to serve our sex with sword or pen "'deserve such distinction from us all.' gramercy fair ladies said elizabeth smiling your boon is granted and the gentle squire latcloak shall become the good knight latcloak at your desire let the two aspirants for the honour of chivalry step forward blount was not as yet returned from seeing tressilian as he conceived safely disposed of but raleigh came forth and kneeling down received at the hand of the virgin queen that title of honour which was never conferred on a more distinguished or more illustrious object. Shortly afterwards Nicholas Blount entered, and hastily apprised by Sussex, who met him at the door of the hall, of the Queen's gracious purpose regarding him, he was desired to advance towards the throne. It is a sight sometimes seen, and is both ludicrous and pitiable, when an honest man of plain common sense is surprised by the coquetry of a pretty woman, or any other cause, into those frivolous fopperies, which only sit well upon the youthful, the gay, and those to whom long practice has rendered them a second nature. Poor Blount was in this situation. His head was already giddy from a consciousness of unusual finery, and the supposed necessity of suiting his manners to the gaiety of his dress. And now the sudden view of promotion, altogether completed the conquest of the newly-inhaled spirit of foppery over his natural disposition, and converted a plain, honest, awkward man into a coxcomb of a new and most ridiculous kind. The knight-expectant advanced up the hall, the whole length of which he had unfortunately to traverse, turning out his toes with so much zeal that he presented his leg at every step with its broadside foremost, so that it greatly resembled an old-fashioned table-knife with a curved point, when seen sideways. The rest of his gait was in proportion to this unhappy ample, and the implied mixture of bashful rear and self-satisfaction was so unutterably ridiculous that Leicester's friends did not suppress a titter in which many of Sussex's partisans were unable to resist joining, though ready to eat their nails with mortification." Sussex himself lost all patience, and could not forbear whispering into the ear of his friend, "'Curse thee, canst thou not walk like a man and a soldier?' An interjection which only made Honest Blount start and stop, until a glance at his yellow roses and crimson stockings restored his self-confidence, when on he went at the same pace as before. The queen conferred on poor Blount the honour of knighthood with a marked sense of reluctance. That wise princess was fully aware of the propriety of using great circumspection and economy in bestowing those titles of honour, which the Stuarts, who succeeded to her throne, distributed with an imprudent liberality, which greatly diminished their value. Blount had no sooner arisen and retired than she turned to the Duchess of Rutland, Our woman wit, she said, dear Rutland, is sharper than that of those proud things in doublet and hose. Seest thou, out of these three knights, thine is the only true metal to stamp chivalry's imprint upon. Sir Richard Varney, surely, the friend of my lord of Leicester, surely he has merit, replied the Duchess. Varney has a sly countenance, and a smooth tongue, replied the Queen. I fear me, he will prove a knave but the promise was of ancient standing. My lord of Sussex must have lost his own wits, I think, to recommend to us first a madman like Tressilian, and then a clownish fool like this other fellow. I protest, Rutland, that while he sat on his knees before me, moping and mowing as if he had scalding porridge in his mouth, I had much ado to forbear cutting him over the pate instead of striking his shoulder. Your Majesty gave him a smart accolade, said the duchess. We who stood behind heard the blade clatter on his collar-bone, and the poor man fidgeted too, as if he felt it. I could not help it, wench, said the queen, laughing, but we will have this same Sir Nicholas, sent to Ireland or Scotland or somewhere, to rid our court of so antic a chevalier. He may be a good soldier in the field, though a preposterous ass in a banqueting-hall." The discourse became then more general, and soon after there was a summons to the banquet. In order to obey this signal, the company were under the necessity of crossing the inner court of the castle, that they might reach the new buildings containing the large banqueting-room, in which preparations for supper were made, upon a scale of profuse magnificence, corresponding to the occasion. The livery cupboards were loaded with plate of the richest description, and the most varied, some articles tasteful, some perhaps grotesque, in the invention and decoration, but all gorgeously magnificent, both from the richness of the work and value of the materials. Thus the chief table was adorned by a salt, ship fashion, made of mother-of-pearl, garnished with silver and diverse warlike insigns and other ornaments, anchors, sails, and sixteen pieces of ordnance it bore a figure of fortune placed on a globe with a flag in her hand another salt was fashioned of silver in form of a swan in full sail that chivalry might not be omitted amid this splendour a silver saint george was presented mounted and equipped in the usual fashion in which he bestrides the dragon the figures were moulded to be in some sort useful the horse's tail was managed to hold a case of knives while the breast of the dragon presented a similar accommodation for oyster-knives in the course of the passage from the hall of reception to the banqueting-room and especially in the courtyard the new-made knights were assailed by the heralds pursuivants minstrels etc with the usual cry of largesse largesse chevalier trezardy an ancient invocation intended to awaken the bounty of the acolytes of chivalry towards those whose business it was to register their armorial bearings and celebrate the deeds by which they were illustrated the call was of course liberally and courteously answered by those to whom it was addressed varney gave his largesse with an affectation of complacence and humility raleigh bestowed his with the graceful ease peculiar to one who has attained his own place, and is familiar with its dignity. Honest Blount gave what his tailor had left him of his half-year's rent, dropping some pieces in his hurry, then stooping down to look for them, and then distributing them amongst the various claimants, with the anxious face and mien of the parish beetle dividing a dole among paupers. The donations were accepted with the usual clamour and vivant, of applause common on such occasions but as the parties gratified were chiefly dependents of lord leicester it was varney whose name was repeated with the loudest acclamations lambourne especially distinguished himself by his vociferations of long life to sir richard varney health and honour to sir richard never was a more worthy knight dubbed then suddenly sinking his voice he added since the valiant Sir Pandarus of Troy. A winding up of his clamorous applause, which set all men a-laughing, who were within hearing of it. It is unnecessary to say anything further of the festivities of the evening, which were so brilliant in themselves, and received with such obvious and willing satisfaction by the Queen, that Leicester retired to his own apartment with all the giddy raptures of successful ambition. Varney, who had changed his splendid attire and now waited on his patron in a very modest and plain undress attended to do the honours of the earl's how sir richard said leicester smiling your new rank scarce suits the humility of this attendance i would disown that rank my lord said varney could i think it was to remove me to a distance from your lordship's person thou art a grateful fellow said leicester but i must not allow you to do what would abate you in the opinion of others while thus speaking he still accepted without hesitation the offices about his person which the new-made knight seemed to render as eagerly as if he had really felt in discharging the task that pleasure which his words expressed i am not afraid of men's misconstruction he said in answer to leicester's remark since there is not permit me to undo the collar a man within the castle who does not expect very soon to see persons of a rank far superior to that which by your goodness I now hold rendering the duties of the bedchamber to you and accounting it an honour it might indeed so have been said the earl with an involuntary sigh and then presently added my gown varney i will look out on the night is not the moon near to the full i think so my lord "'according to the calendar,' answered Varney. "'There was an abutting window, "'which opened on a small projecting balcony of stone, "'battlemented, as is usual in Gothic castles. "'The Earl undid the lattice, "'and stepped out into the open air. "'The station he had chosen "'commanded an extensive view of the lake and woodlands beyond, "'where the bright moonlight rested on the clear blue waters "'and the distant masses of oak and elm-trees.' the moon rode high in the heavens attended by thousands and thousands of inferior luminaries all seemed already to be hushed in the nether world excepting occasionally the voice of the watch for the yeomen of the guard performed that duty wherever the queen was present in person and the distant baying of the hounds disturbed by the preparations amongst the grooms and prickers for a magnificent hunt which was to be the amusement of the next day. Leicester looked out on the blue arch of heaven, with gestures and a countenance expressive of anxious exultation, while Varney, who remained within the darkened apartment, could, himself unnoticed, with a secret satisfaction, see his patron stretch his hands with earnest gesticulation towards the heavenly bodies, ye distant orbs of living fire so ran the muttered invocation of the ambitious earl. Ye are silent, while you will your mystic rounds, but wisdom is given to you a voice. Tell me then, to what end is my high course destined? Shall the greatness to which I have aspired be bright, pre-eminent, and stable as your own? Or am I but doomed to draw a brief and glittering train along the nightly darkness, and then to sink down to earth? like the base refuse of those artificial fires with which men emulate your rays he looked on the heavens in profound silence for a minute or two longer and then again stepped into the apartment where varney seemed to have been engaged in putting the earl's jewels into a casket what said alasco of my horoscope demanded lester you already told me but it has escaped me for i think but lightly of that art Many learned and great men have thought otherwise, said Varney, and not to flatter your lordship, my own opinion leans that way. I Saul among the prophets said Lester, I thought thou wert sceptical in all such matters as thou couldst neither see, hear, smell, taste, or touch, and that thy belief was limited by thy senses. Perhaps my lord said, Varney, I may be misled on the present occasion. I may wish to find the predictions of astrology true. Alasco says that your favorite planet is culminating in that the adverse influence, he would not use a plainer term, though not overcome, was evidently combust, I think he said, or retrograde. It is even so, said Lester, looking at an abstract of astrological calculations which he had in his hand the stronger influence will prevail, and, as I think, the evil hour pass away. Lend me your hand, Sir Richard, to doff my gown, and remain an instant, if it is not too burdensome to your knighthood, while I compose myself to sleep. I believe the bustle of this day has fevered my blood, for it streams through my veins like a current of molten lead. Remain an instant, I pray you, I would fain feel my eyes heavy, ere I close them. Varney officiously assisted his lord to bed and placed a massive silver night lamp with a short sword on a marble table which stood close by the head of the couch. Either in order to avoid the light of the lamp or to hide his countenance from Varney, Lester drew the curtain, heavy with entwined silk and gold, so as completely to shade his face. Varney took a seat near the bed, but with his back towards his master as if to intimate that he was not watching him, and quietly waited till Leicester himself led the way to the topic by which his mind was engrossed. And so, Varney, said the earl, after waiting in vain till his dependent should commence the conversation, men talk of the Queen's favour towards me. Ay, my good lord, said Varney, of what can they else, since it is so strongly manifested? She is indeed my good and gracious mistress, said Leicester, after another pause. But it is written, Put not thy trust in princes. A good sentence, and a true, said Varney, unless you can unite their interest with yours, so absolutely, that they must needs sit on your wrist like hooded hawks. I know what thou meanest, said Lester impatiently. Thou, though art to-night so prudentially careful of what thou sayest to me. Thou wouldst intimate, I might marry the queen if I would. "'It is your speech, my lord, not mine,' answered Varney. "'But whosoever be the speech, "'it is the thought of ninety-nine out of a hundred men "'throughout broad England.' "'Ay, but,' said Leicester, turning himself in his bed, "'the hundredth man knows better. "'Thou, for example, knowest the obstacle "'that cannot be overleaped.' "'It must, my lord, if the stars speak true.' said varney composedly what talkest thou of them said leicester that believest not in them or in aught else you mistake my lord under your gracious pardon said varney i believe in many things that predict the future i believe if showers fall in april that we shall have flowers in may that if the sun shines grain will ripen and I believe in much natural philosophy to the same effect which, if the stars swear to me, I will say the stars speak the truth, and, in like manner, I will not disbelieve that which I see wished for and expected on earth, solely because the astrologers have read it in the heavens. Thou art right, said Lester, again tossing himself on his couch. Earth does wish for it. I have had advices from the Reformed Churches of Germany from the Low Countries, from Switzerland, urging this as a point on which Europe's safety depends. France will not oppose it. The ruling party in Scotland look to it as their best security. Spain fears it, but cannot prevent it, and yet thou knowest it is impossible. "'I know not that, my lord,' said Varney. "'The Countess is indisposed.' "'Villain,' said Leicester starting up on his couch, and seizing the sword which lay on the table beside him. Go thy thoughts that way, thou wouldst not do murder. For whom or what do you hold me, my lord? said Varney, assuming the superiority of an innocent man, subjected to unjust suspicion. I said nothing to deserve such a horrid imputation as your violence infers. I said but that the Countess was ill, and Countess, though she be, lovely and beloved as she is. Surely your lordship must hold her to be mortal. She may die, and your lordship's hand become once more your own. Away! Away! said Leicester. Let me have no more of this. Good night, my lord, said Varney, seeming to understand this as a command to depart. but Leicester's voice interrupted his purpose. Thou scapest me not thus, sir fool, said he. I think thy knighthood has... "'Addle thy brains. "'Confess thou hast talked of impossibilities, "'as of things which may come to pass. "'My lord, long live your fair countess,' said Varney, "'but neither your love nor my good wishes "'can make her immortal. "'But God grant she live long to be happy herself "'and to render you so. "'I see not, but you may be king of England, notwithstanding. "'Nay, now, Varney, thou art stark mad.' said Leicester. "'I would I were myself within the same nearness to a good estate of freehold,' said Varney. "'Have we not known in other countries how a left-handed marriage might subsist betwixt persons of differing degree? "'Aye, and be no hindrance to prevent the husband from conjoining himself afterwards with a more suitable partner.' "'I have heard of such things in Germany,' said Leicester. I and the most learned doctors in foreign universities, justify the practice from the Old Testament, said Varney. And after all, where is the harm? The beautiful partner, whom you have chosen for true love, has your secret hours of relaxation and affection. Her fame is safe, her conscience may slumber securely. You have wealth to provide royally for your issue, should heaven bless you with offspring. Meanwhile you may give to Elizabeth ten times the leisure and ten thousand times the affection that ever Don Philip of Spain spared to her sister Mary, yet you know how she doted on him, though so cold and neglectful. It requires but a closed mouth and an open brow, and you keep your Eleanor and your fair Rosamond far enough separate. Leave me to build you a bower to which no jealous queen shall find a clue. Leicester was silent for a moment, then sighed and said, "'It is impossible. Good night, Sir Richard Varney. Yet stay. Can you guess what meant Tressilian by showing himself in such careless guise before the Queen to-day, to strike her tender heart, I should guess, with all the symphonies due to a lover abandoned by his mistress and abandoning himself?' Varney, smothering a sneering laugh, answered, "'He believed Master Tressilian had no such matter in his head.' how said leicester what meanest thou there is ever in that laugh of thine varney i only met my lord said varney that tressilian has taken the sure way to avoid heart-breaking he hath had a companion a female companion a mistress a sort of player's wife or sisters i believe with him in mervyn's bower where i courted him for certain reasons of my own a mistress meanest thou a paramour Ay, my lord What female else waits for hours in a gentleman's chamber? By my faith, time and space fitting, this were a good tale to tell, said Lester. I ever distrusted those bookish, hypocritical, seeming virtuous scholars. Well, Master Tressilian makes somewhat familiar with my house. If I look it over, he is indebted to it for certain recollections. I would not harm him more than I can help. Keep eye on him, however, Varney. I lodged him for that reason, said Varney, in Mervyn's Tower, where he is under the eye of my very vigilant, if he were not also my very drunken servant, Michael Lambourne, whom I have told your grace of. Grace, said Lester, what meanest thou by that epithet? It came unawares, my lord, and yet it sounds so very natural that I cannot recall it it is thine own preferment that hath turned thy brain said leicester laughing new honours are so heady as new wine may your lordship soon have cause to say so from experience said varney and wishing his patron good-night he withdrew
1: reader's note note eight chapter thirty two furniture of kenilworth In revising this work, I have had the means of making some accurate additions to my attempt to describe the princely pleasures of Kenilworth by the kindness of my friend, William Hamper, Esquire, who had the goodness to communicate to me an inventory of the furniture of Kenilworth in the days of the magnificent Earl of Leicester. I have adorned the text with some of the splendid articles mentioned in the Inventory, but antiquaries especially will be desirous to see a more full specimen than the story leaves room for. Extracts from Kenilworth Inventory, A.D. 1584 Assault, Ship Fashion, of the Mother of Pearl Garnished with silver and divers works, warlike ensigns and ornaments, with sixteen pieces of ordnance, whereof two on wheels, two anchors on the forepart, and on the stern the image of Dame Fortune, standing on a globe, with a flag in her hand. Pois thirty-two ounces. A gilt salt, like a swan, mother of pearl, POIS THIRTY OUNCES THREE-QUARTERS A George on horseback of wood painted in gilt with a case for knives in the tail of the horse and a case for oyster knives in the breast of the dragon. A green barge cloth embroidered with white lions and bears. A perfuming pan of silver POIS nineteen OUNCES In the hall, tables long and short, Six forms, long and short, 14. Hangings. These are minutely specified and consisted of the following subjects in tapestry and gilt and red leather. Flowers, beasts, and pillars arched. Forest work. History. Story of Susanna, the prodigal child, Saul, Toby, Hercules, Lady fame, Hawking and hunting, Jezebel, Judith and Holofernes, David, Abraham, Samson, Hippolytus, Alexander the Great, Naaman the Assyrian, Jacob, etc. Bedsteads with their furniture. These are magnificent and numerous. I shall copy verbatim the description of what appears to have been one of the best. A bedstead of walnut tree Top fashion, the pillars red and varnished, the cellar tester in single valance of crimson satin, paned with a broad border of bone lace of gold and silver, the tester richly embroidered with my lord's arms in a garland of hops, roses, and pomegranates, and lined with buckram. Five curtains of crimson satin to the same bedstead, striped down with a bone lace of gold and silver, garnished with buttons and loops of crimson silk and gold, containing fourteen breadths of satin, and one yard three-quarters deep. The cellar, valance, and curtains lined with crimson taffeta sarsenet. A crimson satin counterpoint, quilted and embroidered with a gold twist, and lined with red sarsinet, being in length three yards good, and in breadth three scant. A chaise of crimson satin, suitable. A fair quilt of crimson satin, six spreads, three yards three quarters nail deep, all lozenge over with silver twist. IN THE MIDST OF A SINK FOIL, WITHIN A GARLAND OF RAGGED STAVES, FRINGED ROUND ABOUT WITH A SMALL FRINGE OF CRIMSON SILK, LINED THROUGH WITH WHITE FUSTIAN. FIVE PLUMES OF COLORED FEATHERS, GARNISHED WITH BONE LACE AND SPANGLES OF GOLD AND SILVER, STANDING IN CUPS KNIT ALL OVER WITH GOLD, SILVER, AND CRIMSON SILK probably on the center and four corners of the bedstead, four bears and ragged staves occupied a similar position on another of these sumptuous pieces of furniture. A carpet for a cupboard of crimson satin, embroidered with a border of gold twist, about three parts of it fringed with silk and gold, lined with bridges, that is, bruges, satin, in length two yards and two breadths of satin. There were eleven down beds and ninety feather beds, besides thirty-seven mattresses. Chairs, stools, and cushions. These were equally splendid with the beds, etc. I shall here copy that which stands at the head of the list. A chair of crimson velvet, the seat and back partly embroidered, with R.L. in cloth of gold, the bare and ragged staff in cloth of gold, garnished with lace and fringe of gold silver and crimson silk the frame covered with velvet bound about the edge with gold lace and studded with gilt nails a square stool and a footstool of crimson velvet fringed and garnished suitable a long cushion of crimson velvet embroidered with the ragged staff in a wreath of gold with my lord's posy droite et loyal written in the same, and the letters RL in cloth of gold, being garnished with lace, fringe, buttons, and tassels of gold, silver, and crimson silk, lined with crimson taff, being in length one yard quarter. A square cushion of the like velvet, embroidered suitable to the long cushion. Carpets. There were ten velvet carpets for tables and windows. Forty-nine Turkey carpets for floors, and thirty-two cloth carpets, one of each I will now specify. A carpet of crimson velvet, richly embroidered with my lord's posy, bears and ragged staves, etc., of cloth of gold and silver, garnished upon the seams and about, with gold lace, fringed accordingly, lined with crimson taffeta sarsenet, being three breadths of velvet, one yard three-quarters long a great turkey carpet the ground blue with a list of yellow at each end being in length 10 yards in breadth 4 yards and quarter a long carpet of blue cloth lined with bridge's satin fringed with blue silk and gold in length 6 yards lack a quarter the whole breadth of the cloth pictures chiefly described as having curtains the queen's majesty two great tables. Three of my Lord St. Jerome, Lord of Arundel, Lord Mathers, Lord of Pembroke, Count Egmont, the Queen of Scots, King Philip, the Baker's Daughters, the Duke of Faria, Alexander Magnus, two young ladies, Pompeia Sabina, Frederick Duke of Saxony, Emperor Charles, King Philip's wife, Prince of Orange and his Wife, Marquess of Bourges and his Wife, Count de Home, Count Holstadt, Monseigneur Brederode, Duke Alva, Cardinal Granville, Duchess of Parmer, Henry, Earl of Pembroke and his Young Countess, Countess of Essex, Occasion and Repentance, Lord Montacute, Sir James Crofts, Sir William Maldmay, Sir William Pickering, Edwin, Archbishop of York. A table of a history of men, women, and children, moulded in wax. A little folding table of ebony, garnished with white bone, wherein are written verses, with letters of gold. A table of my lord's arms, five of the planets painted in frames, twenty-three cards that is, charts, or maps of countries. Instruments. I shall give two specimens. An instrument of organs, regal, and virginals, covered with crimson velvet and garnished with gold lace. A fair pair of double virginals. Cabinets. A cabinet of crimson satin, richly embroidered with a device of hunting the stag in gold, silver, and silk, with four glasses in the top thereof, sixteen cups of flowers made of gold, silver, and silk, in a case of leather, lined with green satin of bridges. Another of purple velvet, a desk of red leather. A chessboard of ebony, with checkers of crystal and other stones, laid with silver, garnished with bears and ragged staves, and sink foils of silver. The th- Thirty-two men likewise of crystal and other stones set, the one sword in silver white, the other gilt, in a case gilded and lined with green cotton, another of bone and ebony, a pair of tables of bone, a great brazen candlestick to hang in the roof of the house, very fair and curiously wrought, with twenty-four branches, twelve great, and twelve of lesser size, six rollers and two wings for the spread eagle, twenty-four sockets for candles, twelve greater and twelve of a lesser sort, twenty-four saucers, or candle cups, of like proportion to put under the sockets, three images of men and three of women, of brass, very finely and artificially done. These specimens of Leicester's magnificence may serve to assure the reader that it scarcely lay in the power of a modern author to exaggerate the lavish style of expense displayed in the princely pleasures of Kenilworth. End Reader's Note End Chapter 32